I think that a lot of our fear about sexuality in our bodies comes from a lack of knowledge. But uh, I think the more you know surrounding a subject, the, the more you can have like a grasp on what's actually happening with your body. Katie, Katie, let it out. Hello everyone, welcome back, happy new year again, thank you so much for listening, you are listening to Let It Out with me, Katie Delbout, just to be clear, that is the podcast that you have in your ears right now, and I'm so happy, thank you so much for listening, as always, this is my favorite thing that I do with my time and put out onto the internet, so thank you for listening and letting me keep doing it. And thank you to today's guest. I'm really excited about this interview finally airing. I actually recorded it in person several months ago and it was still hot outside. And it's one of my Highlight Detroit episodes because Zoe Legan, founder of Spectrum Boutique, which is a sex positive shop based here in Detroit, she is also a visual artist. She does a lot of really cool collage art and she is a sex educator and a sex writer. She writes for Refinery29, which I think is how I originally found her work. Or actually, I think I met her in person at one of the shows she was doing. My roommate also had a booth at the event. It was like a Valentine's Day artist market with a lot of cool local artists. Um, and my roommate is one of them. And Zoe was there and she was so nice. And I met her and started following her on Instagram. And we just became Instagram friends. And then next thing I know, I was at her house interviewing her for the podcast. And now you're about to listen to that. So I'm trying to keep this intro short because it's a very long episode. And I'm kind of sleepy right now, so I, I hope that I even make any sense. I just came back from L.A. last night, very late. I was on the red eye and realized that I hadn't gotten the podcast ready for this week. So here I am recording this intro. I hope you guys have had an amazing 2017 so far. I have. I've already been on a great trip. I was in L.A. for a week visiting my best friend Amanda and other podcast guest Carly Gross. One of She's been on two episodes. Um, but it was just a really great time, lots of girl time. And we talked about sex, which was really, really cool and fun and something that I used to get really timid and cringy talking about but if you are like me this episode is for you because we talk a lot about sex and Zoe is someone who is so inspiring to me because she is so open and raw and real when it comes to sex and sexuality and just everything so that is something to keep in mind with this episode we do talk about sex we talk about open relationships and porn and art and sex toys and there is some language in this podcast that might not be appropriate for children and if those things offend you it might not be appropriate for you so maybe steer clear of this episode or better yet go into it with an open mind and be 
open to learning something new. A lot of this was very new to me. I didn't know anything about open relationships or sex toys or really anything before this episode. But I learned a lot from Zoe, and I think you will too. So we talk about a, you know, it's a really meandering conversation per the usual. Like I said, it's two hours long. We recorded it in person. Those are kind of the main differences. But we talk about consent and that a maybe is definitely not a yes. It needs to be an enthusiastic yes. We talk about orgasm and how to be regularly orgasmic and why that's so important. We talk about things unrelated to sex. We talked about how having an internet presence kind of gives you the illusion of community, but it's not real. I loved that part of the conversation. We talked about non-monogamous relationships and open relationships, like I mentioned before, which was fascinating and very new to me. So I think you'll find that part of the conversation interesting. And at the end, we had, you know, this is, like I said, very end of the the almost two-hour or over two-hour conversation we had, but we had one of my favorite conversations about body image and weight and beauty being subjective of maybe all time, which if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, that's a topic that I always ask the guests about, but I really loved Zoe's perspective on this and I loved the conversation we got into, so that was really interesting and you'll notice like I said we recorded this this summer pre-election so there are some election references in there that are old that you'll understand and hear um and it's it's just a really interesting fascinating fun long conversation so it's just a really chill time I was at her house like I said we recorded this one in person and actually at the end after the outro I put some outtakes in there of us chatting before we started I guess you know I've like started in quotes the actual podcast so if you want to stick around and hear us talking about just like some random things about her store and how we met and nail polish you can hear that at the very end of the episode after the outro so stick around for the outro where where you know you'll hear me say the emoji for the episode which if you've been listening uh lately it's been something i'm really loving which is after my very long rambly show i'll do a very long rambling outro and then i'll say an emoji that if you're still listening to the i started this like as a joke but it actually kind of caught on and i love seeing them so anyway i gotta finish the story so if you are still listening i I give an emoji like the corn emoji or the walking person emoji or it's been a bunch in the past and then i say tweet it at me or comment that emoji on my instagram or you know send it to me those are the main ways (laughs) tweet it or instagram it at me and it's really fun because I get to see who was still listening to the podcast. It's like the secret code language that we have, which I really love. So I will tell you what the emoji is at the very end of this episode. And also shout out to FreshBooks for sponsoring this podcast episode. Zoe's an entrepreneur and so am I. And maybe you are too. And FreshBooks can help you keep things organized. And if you're not an entrepreneur, it can also help you keep things organized with tax season coming up and just having good financial practices with money. That's something that is so challenging for me, but FreshBooks can help. So if you want to try it, if you want to kick your new year off right with smart financial practices, try FreshBooks. You can get 30 days free. Why not? You get this unrestricted free trial by going to freshbooks.com slash let it out and entering let it out in the how did you hear about us section. Make sure you do that because then it lets them know 
that I sent you, and then hopefully they'll still want to keep sponsoring the podcast so I can keep doing the podcast so we can keep talking and having fun and having good guests on. And I probably need a nap at this point, but I love you guys so much. I'm going to go record the outro, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Zoe and me. Okay, okay. Okay. No, we're, we're doing it. Essentially, this is what we're doing. Us hanging out, chatting. I mean, I obviously have told you this a million times, but I just think you're the coolest. So I'm so Yay. excited and so inspired by you. And yeah, I just want to have a conversation. So for the people listening, Zoe is my friend, an amazing hey. artist and writer and sex educator and advocate mm-hmm. and entrepreneur and the founder of Spectrum Boutique, which mm-hmm. we'll hear lots about, I hope. Um, and I'm here with you at your house with Trudy, your cat. Yeah, she um, might make an appearance. Yeah, hopefully she's right here. She's really pretty. <laughs> she has green eyes like you. We all have green eyes in this room. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we're here in Detroit because we're basically neighbors. I was I could have easily walked here, mm-hmm. but there's like a threat of rain. It's and very rainy. I don't want to carry this heavy microphone, so. It is, like, the best of both worlds here. It's, like, I got Ferndale at my disposal, and, like, Detroit's, like, ten minutes away. I mean, this is Detroit. It's barely Detroit, but everyone makes... All my friends who live downtown have been making fun of me, or just, like, people are like, ah, it's so far away. I'm like, are you kidding? I can get downtown in 15 minutes. Have you ever... Like, I went to L.A., and I was just like, how does anyone think this is far away? I know. I mean, Detroit itself is so huge. Like, somebody was telling me... Maybe it was you? I don't Mm -hmm. know who it was. That, like, you can fit all of Manhattan and Brooklyn and... Like the Bronx and Queens, all inside like Detroit proper. Like, I actually didn't so know huge. that. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Insane. Like all of the areas. That's why I left New York because it's so dense and yeah, so. terrifying, and I'm getting anxious just even thinking about going there on Wednesday, which is two days from now. So I'm. What? Are, what? Tell us about the show that you're going to. I have a solo show at Super Chief Gallery Brooklyn, which is in Greenpoint. And they were actually the first people to ever write about me. Like, when I was 19, they did this interview that's not even... I don't even think you can find it online anymore. But it was... What what I remember about the interview is they were just, like, asking me about, like, did you ever have a near-death experience? And And I talked about a time that I was, like, having sex and someone, like, put a knife down next to me to, like... But then they were like, oh, I'm just gonna use this to, like cut the tip I'm about to use on you. <laughs> well, I, was, I don't know. When I was 19, I thought that was like great things to say in an interview and my mom read it and was like, what? <laughs> Maybe my dad was my dad. Uh, but uh, yeah, so they, they've been giving me love from like day one and I have shown in group shows there before at a different location of theirs and this is a solo show and what I'm doing differently this time is I'm actually framing everything for the first time. And collages, I mean, it's like all paper, and I honestly keep the edges of each piece pretty raggedy usually because I'm like, I want to keep as much of the material as possible intact. So I just kind of rip it out of the magazine. However it rips out, one side will just be all jagged, and I'm fine with that. But so framing it, everything has been really interesting because it looks so much cleaner than they ever have been. So I've literally, for the past month, been going to every single Value World, which is a chain of thrift stores for people who don't live in 
in, in Michigan. But uh, I've been getting every single picture frame of theirs and like oh. refurbishing them and like repainting. It's like a whole new element to the art. Mm-hmm. That's so so cool. it's been a lot more time consuming, but it's, I think it's a lot more professional looking. Yeah. Not that I ever really bill myself as an, I don't even really bill myself as an artist anymore these days, but it definitely like makes me feel more legit. Yeah. <laughs> well, how did you, I, I think collages are so cool and I would love to, that's like the one art form. I took a couple art classes in college and collage was just the one that I liked doing the most. How did you get into it? How did you start making collages? When tell us everything. Yeah, I think I, uh, I think I was actually inspired by a freshman year high school art class where we had to make stained glass, like fake stained glass, and like fill in every panel with like paper. Or I chose magazine, and I did like a image of a house on a pond or something, like like you know, with a pond in the foreground. And it was really time consuming because it was like gigantic and it was like for a letter grade and it didn't really leave an impression on me at the time, but, uh, looking at my artwork now and comparing it to that then, I mean, everyone's like, it looks like stained glass. And I'm like, that is really clearly where I got this idea from is from this like one art project I had in high school. Yeah. Um, you have some stained glass. I do. My house came with uh, some weird little. Yeah, I mean, there's one in the window that belonged to my dad that is like a, like a, it's Saint Christopher, I believe. Which is funny because like, I, my dad was an atheist and my mom was Jewish, and (laughs) (laughs) you know, so I was I'm an atheist Jew technically, but I still have this like, this Christian iconography in my house, but. I think I did that a similar art project, like uh-huh. filling in the things, and so you just kept up with collaging then. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> the way I like to tell the story is when I was eighteen. I so I was a dancer, and while dancing can very much be like a visual art form, I remember in high school, like all the art kids were like all the guys I liked were like artsy kids. And I was Where did like, you grow up? Where is this? Oh, Maryland. Suburbs? Maryland in the DC suburbs, okay. which actually is really similar to the vibe of Michigan suburbs in a way. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so I had a really big crush on one, like, this one specific guy and I was like, and social media existed. So I was like, oh, what can I put on the internet to like let him know that I'm cool and artistic? Wait, so he was a dancer too? No, yeah, I was a dancer. Was a he was like an art an artsy fartsy kid, like painter. And I was just like, he's gonna know how cool and talented my yeah. brain is. <laughs> so I I made a collage just using the national geographics that my dad had. It was like pretty standard collage I was like trying to make it weird and stuff so I just like you know made some shit and I was like putting it on I think I was using Facebook at that time I don't know and I was just like ah my art everyone can know my my artistic skill you know and no one ever gave a fuck uh back then for (laughs) sure no you didn't no you did not give a fuck about me which is what's so beautiful um, he also aged so badly, so oh, it's really great good. to look back on that. Great. The one that got away. <laughs> Thank- thankfully, the one that got away. Uh, <laughs> and got you to start art, so yeah. to that dude. 
But I think it's also so funny because, like, I don't really, like, pine after... Uh, like, I think that it's kind of self-deprecating as a teenage girl to, like, be like, I'm gonna do this thing to make him notice me, you yeah. know? And I think it's self-deprecating for anyone to be, like, peacocking so desperately yeah. for attention. I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with it. It just rarely works and I it know. comes off the wrong way. I, I call that, like, I don't... And by call that, like, you know how you, like, call things in your mind? Right. Because like, I call this to myself, because I've done that and, like, do that and have done that in the past, and I call it, like, great Gatsbying, because I feel like I'm just, like, trying like, to, look like... look at my things! Yeah, like, I'm yeah. gonna do this great thing, and then you're gonna... Then you'll, then you'll like me, then, then you'll... Then you'll fall in love! Yeah. Like, it's so <laughs> silly. And sometimes it's subconscious, or... I don't know. We're so yeah. weird as humans. I get... But, so... I was using National Geographic as my only source, and there was like a very distinct switch over that happened the next year, which was my first year in college. I was living in New York. I went to Fordham University in Midtown, and uh, I went to a flea market and found some vintage pinupy porn, and I was like, ooh, this is so crazy and alternative. I'm going to put this in. And then it just kind of evolved to using, like, the smuttiest, gross... I mean, like, n none of them are... They're all kind of gross, and they're all kind of not gross. But I, I, I mean gross as in, like, just, like, really low-budget, like, bad, badly shot nudie mags. Where you could just tell, like, some guy who had, like, a digital camera was like, I'm gonna shoot girls <laughs> in my hometown. And uh, it's great because it's like they're not airbrushed. You can like see the zits on their butt. I love it. It's so much better than like oiled up bodies in Hustler and so Penthouse real. from like, you know, the 2000s onward. Um, yeah. So much better. I think porn stopped being, like print porn stopped being beautiful to me in like the mid to late 90s because then it just got so doctored and... Yeah, the oily, shiny bodies were a really popular trend in the late 90s, early 2000s, and then I just kind of, I'm like, eh. It's also a legal issue, too, if I'm using really recent nude, nude images. Uh, I'm much yeah. more likely to get into legal trouble, although with art, it's very easy to argue one way or another, but... Everything's a remix. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't want to get in legal trouble. Right. I'm just trying to, like, yeah, right. make some weird porn art. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and vintage is always cooler. Mm -hmm. It makes for better art. So, okay, so this is kind of a good transition to the other stuff that you do because you, yes. you're not just an artist. So you are a sex educator mm -hmm. and have this amazing business. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you Have you always been really <laughs> open about sexuality and fascinated by this stuff? How? When did you decide that this is what you wanted to be when you grew up? Right. Well, I first wanted to be a dancer, like a professional dancer. And then when I realized my body was just not built for it, I just have a sucky dance body. Like I can groove and shit, but like, mm, no, could never do ballet professionally. So abandoned that dream. Then I remember when I first was in high school, I was like, I'm going to own a business. And my boyfriend at the time's dad, who was a businessman, was like, well, like, what's your business going to be? And I was like, I don't know. And I was like, wait, maybe, maybe I shouldn't own a business. So then I took a psychology class my junior year of high school, and I was just, like, 
so fascinated by everything I was learning. And I really wanted to become a therapist or just in some psychiatry field, even if it was research. I was like, this is very interesting. And then I, um, I, I became sexually active when I was 14. And it wasn't really like a choice I made, but it just kind of happened into my life. Like a thing I've been learning a lot about myself recently is that I'm very bad at saying no to things when, cause like in, in as far as consent is concerned, um, a yes is only a yes in consent if it's like an enthusiastic yes. Like if I'm just like, yeah, like that is not consent, <laughs> you know? And if it's, a, and, and people often say yes when what they really mean is maybe. And I think as a teen, I was saying a yes a lot of the time when my real answer was maybe. So I found myself in a lot of sexual situations that were not upsetting necessarily, but I, I was just kind of like meh. And sex became very pedestrian for me because I just, I've been having it since I was 14 and I wasn't drinking, I wasn't smoking weed or cigarettes or anything. I was very clean cut otherwise, but I was always sexually active. And I guess sex didn't interest me from like a factual sciencey standpoint until I was around 19 or 20 because I I didn't even have an orgasm until I was 19, which is crazy to think about being, like having sex for five years with zero orgasms. First time I had an orgasm, it was like the first time I had my period. I was like, what, is, what? Oh, oh, I know what this is. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and then after I had like this like accidental orgasm for the first time, I was like, whoa, this is a thing. This is a thing I can do. Whoa. And I really nervously ran into a sex toy store one day in the Lower East Side, just like picked up a magic wand, which is still my vibrator of choice. I just like intrinsically knew. I was like, I need the jackhammer of all vibrators. I need the most powerful thing. Got that. Got a dildo. And then um, just through like a little bit of trial and error, I was just like, whoa, I can, I know exactly how to make myself orgasm. This just like took a little experimentation, like very, like I just, I hadn't even tried or put in an effort. I wasn't like, oh man, I, really, I wasn't like missing orgasms. I just, it, it didn't, wasn't like a thing on my menu in my head mentally that was available to me. Yeah. So... Then when I realized I could be regularly orgasmic, it was like a really crazy emotional experience for me. And my art actually led to me being hired at one of the fancy schmancy upscale sex toy stores in, in Manhattan. And I, I met someone who worked at the shop and they were like, your art's really crazy. You'd be like the perfect person to work at this shop. And I was like, okay. Uh, I applied during my last year of college and and like got in I immediately got promoted and so I was like kind of like in low-level management right off the bat and I just learned one thing after another that kept blowing my mind and you know I, I learned things like everybody with a vulva can squirt you know things where I was just like why isn't this information that everybody fucking yeah. learns like this should be like just basic stuff that we all are taught and even though I went to a 
high school in a pretty liberal area, we weren't taught about masturbation or pleasure. And I was like angry. I was like, I was sexually active for five years with zero orgasms and this could have all been different. And, and I feel like it made me a really good sex educator because like the bulk of the questions I was being asked were, were issues that I could personally identify with in some way. Like, like, a lot of people are asking questions about how to become orgasmic or how to become regularly orgasmic. And a lot of people who ask about that are ashamed of the fact that they haven't orgasmed. And to have me, a person selling sex toys, be like, it really hasn't been that long since I had my first orgasm. Like, I have been orgasmic for the same number. I'm 24. I've been having orgasms for five years and I was sexually active for five years without orgasms like and and I think that just hearing that puts a lot of people at ease because it's like yeah. there is no oh totally right time or yeah. like you can be 60 and have your first orgasm it no one teaches us yeah. to do this stuff especially if you're person with a vulva they just don't want you to know <laughs> yeah I think it makes you so much better at what you do because you're relatable and or you can at least relate to people because I think it's so scary to be like I'm way on the, if it's a spectrum mm-hmm. I'm way on the other side to this person who's so sexually free and open and I want that and, and I relate to this a ton and I think it's like largely why you're so ex- inspiring to me but if you can be so afraid to say like oh I've never had these experiences or I've had way less sexual experiences than you or how could I ever be that orgasmic even when you understand it's so important for your health and your creativity mm-hmm. and your relationships and your life in general to miss this huge part of things and I, I think for so many women, unfortunately, for so many people, it's so common to go through life not knowing this stuff. So was that like a big turning point for you that you just wanted to help people in that way? Totally. And uh, it, it's so funny because I started writing articles about sex education for Refinery29, which was like a pretty big publication to just leap into writing for with very little experience beforehand. So this is when you're in college in New York? I started writing for Refining 29 like right when I left New York so I was 22. Okay. So you were here. Yeah I was like I I actually it was like my last ditch effort I was like I'm gonna like shop around at all of the places in New York all the outlets. I was actually trying to get illustration jobs like with my collages but they were like yeah you can do illustrations for us but we also want you to write for us cool. and uh I just started confessing things in these articles that I it was like I, I would say something sort of controversial and there would be a little bit of backlash but also a lot of positive response and then I'd be like well I just admitted this fact about myself publicly I can basically say anything I want to. And then I just kind of got more and more deep. Like the things I disclosed are things I would have never imagined disclosing. Like I wrote an article about having gonorrhea. Uh, You know, if you search my name, like if you just Google my name, like... I did before that copious notes. Yeah, it's like it's like woman expresses fear after receiving two false positive HIV tests, which is true. I got two false positive HIV tests. But like I think one thing that I still get really embarrassed about that uh, is something I love writing about is how I have a dry vagina. 
<laughs> like it just not to say that I don't self self lubricate a little bit, but I remember when I was working at the first shop I worked at, I, I uh, that wasn't my own. I we were supposed to recommend lube with everything we sold because you know lube is kind of great for everything. And I would get the craziest responses from people. Like I would just have people be like, "Why are you suggesting I buy lube? I don't have a problem." And, you know, and then I'd be like, "Well, it's uh, you know." And, like I would just get like yeah. kind of personally insulted at first. Like, "Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. do I have a problem? Because I need lube." Um, that's another thing too. The first five years of my life, I was having sex. Lube was not. I mean, that's not true. I used lube a couple times, and it was like shitty lube, and I was like, "Ah, this sucks." And so I was having really like dry, frictiony sex. Like, who would enjoy that? Like, yeah. and it's like, why? Okay, so yeah, is it like a little bit annoying to like, you know, get a bottle of lube out and like, yeah, it takes a few seconds, but like then you're lubricated and yeah. it feels so much better for like both parties generally. And uh, you know, or if you're by yourself, or if you're with more than one other, if you're with three people or more, <laughs> but um. Yeah, like, that, that is one for me that's, like, still really a sensitive subject. Like, I, like I'm like i just, like, yeah, my vagina's dry, and I, like, still feel self-conscious about yeah. it, even though I'm, like, kind of, like, out. I'm out as a dry vagina person. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, that's another thing that, like, you saying that, I'm like, oh, good, me too, you know? <laughs> I think it's, like, we're all, we all just want to feel less alone, so I think the most, the more that you can share things like that and talking about STDs and talking about whatever I think that's the goal of your art your business your like online persona I I mean I think is to help people feel less alone I mean that's what my stuff in like a different category but this I think it's the same thing it's like becoming more of yourself and being yourself expressed and when you do that fully you can make people feel less alone and that's what you do so well I think yeah, and the, the, you know, the beauty of it, too, is, like, I feel so lonely all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Me, too. We need to hang out. Yeah, right, right? I, I'm just, like, I isolate myself so much, yeah. and it is strange how having an internet presence of sorts gives you the illusion yeah. of feeling, like, surrounded Ooh. by people, yeah. and I do very much at times... Like, I think... It'd be a crutch. Yeah, I think objectively, like, I have a lot of friends, and I'm, like, actually not lonely. Like, I feel very loved. I know I'm loved, but I'm still... Like, I'm a really emotional person. I have so much anxiety, and I definitely will just... Like, I'm pretty sure last night I was, like, crying on my couch to be like, I'm so alone. Like, it's, like, it's not true, but we all feel this yeah, way. and Everybody I was probably does. that in my bed with my <laughs> tissues, having the sniffles we, and We could have been alone. crying next to Literally, each other. <laughs> we were, like, two feet away from each other, basically. Yeah. Well, now we know. Yep, now we know. Could Podcast just take a and... stroll over to each yeah, other's houses. Literally. Yeah, literally. Well, for future reference. Yes. Now I, know can. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. I feel a lot of feelings. I have a lot of emotion. So what what do you do to handle that? Are you in therapy? Do you meditate? Do you mm. journal? What are what do you do? Do you create art? Do you channel it into your work? Do you what do you do? Well I'm really excited to begin journaling with this <laughs> lovely journal you just gave me and I can't wait to read your book because there's nothing better than reading something your friend wrote. Uh-huh. Um 
So I've been in therapy like basically my whole life. My parents got me a therapist when they were separating. And when did your parents? So the funny thing about Are see. you an only child? Yes. Me too. Technically, well, t- yes, I thought <laughs> I have half siblings, but they're like so much older than me that it's just not the same dynamic yeah. of siblings. And uh, so my parents weren't together really at all, but we all cohabitated. Um, like they were really good at co-parenting, I think for the most part, but, uh, when I was like 12, they were like, all right, we're getting two houses. Like we're not all living. That's so interesting. It's yeah. Like, but it was stressful, you know, having two of everything and just time management, I guess. Um, did you live with your mom? I, I split it pretty evenly at first, and then my when I went started going to high school, my dad lived like a mile away from my high school, and it was a much better school than the one near my mom's house, so I wound up being at my dad's all the time, but my mom and I still saw each other a lot, but I, I basically only lived at my dad's in my teen years. Um, so, what were we remember? We were... Well... I don't know if tangential conversation. Yeah, like, totally. I'm, and it's my oh, like, therapy. Oh, yeah, yeah. There well, so you know what? It is very relevant because I've been... <laughs> so my dad died a year and a half ago, which obviously, like, requires a lot of therapy. Yeah. I've been really good since the one-year anniversary passed. I am definitely still grieving. It will probably never stop. But I'm, like, a yeah. functional human being again. Yay! Were you guys really close? Yeah, we were, like... I think his, like, brain is, like, Mm. my brain in an older man's body. (laughs) Was was he sick? Was it surprising? It was very sudden. It was uh, the result of an accident. Mm. And I was living here, so I was really far away compared to New York where I, you know, it was, like, four hours away. Um, But I still feel very close to him. It is definitely another source of like overarching sadness that's like I can basically cry on demand whenever I want just gotta think about my dad enough but uh so what's really fucked up and no one ever prepares you for about death especially when you are still supported by your parent like I was especially um you know from like I was on his health insurance and stuff like that and while I was making my own money you know it takes a while for you to be fully independent of a parent um I mean I was definitely very privileged in that regard but I mean just medical insurance alone like when you are dependent on a parent and they die you are trying to like grieve your parent parent or whatever and then simultaneously you're trying to battle with your insurance company and the thing is is like you have to also talk to like Cobra, which is like a middleman between the insurance company and you. So it's like you have to deal with like two different people. And then there's like things like figuring out how to cancel your family plan, you know, (laughs) or like just like all those little things that you're like, wow, like this sucks. Like, uh, like grieving on its own is annoying. So then I got into this situation where I was getting my own health insurance for the first time and as a result I was uncovered for a while because there was just so much drama going on with the insurance companies and um, 
it's a very long story but so i just got new insurance like a few months ago and i was so excited i was like i can finally go back to therapy because i've been paying out of pocket and so where you went therapy like when on and off because i was also in the middle of moving so i was also trying to find a a therapist in a new city Right, right um and, and I'm really particular about my therapists. I mean, especially when you own a sex toy store. I mean, I, I haven't met anyone who was awful, but it's just like I'm the type of a client that someone might have a lot of personal bias towards. Right. So and I think anybody yeah. needs to feel comfortable <laughs> to be able to be vulnerable. Yeah, like if you low level think I'm in like a nymphomaniac or something, like we've got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, um,. So I was really excited to go back to therapy, and then I realized that the therapist I have been seeing on and off and loving doesn't even take my new insurance claim, Uh, even though I, like, verified with the office and stuff. uh, So insurance is so currently seeking, just going to, you know... Yeah, you know, I'm in so the market for a new psychiatrist. You heard it Come here. find me. Tweet it Psychiatrist. Yep. Yeah. Come, come find me. I'm ready and willing. We're ready. Uh, <laughs> we can tell you all our problems. Yeah, but you know what? Therapy is... The reason I lo- I'm going on this long therapy tangent also is because therapy is another thing people don't want to talk about. Yeah. And I love talking about the fact that I'm on Lexapro. I am not ashamed of Lexapro. I love Lexapro. Lexapro, like, saved my life. It's amazing. I tried to quit it. That had disastrous results, resulting in panic attacks, and it was not good. Have you been on it for a long time? Have you been on other versions of it? Um, I tried taking a few different medications, but Lexapro has kind of... like I, I started it when I was 18, and they tried to introduce other medications additionally, and they those didn't work out for me. So I've been on it since I was 18. I've heard that one's like the best. Yes, but it actually causes sexual issues for oh, a really? lot of people. It can... I mean, I I think it may contribute to my dry vagina, but I think I have a dry vagina, like, independently of Lexapro, too. But I'm also, like, such a horn dog that I'm like, you can tone down my libido and I'm still a horn dog. Um, That's lucky. But, I, but there are definitely moments where I'm, like, really anxious about whether it's affecting it but so anyway I like last summer uh since I'd been on it since I was 18 I was like you know what it's been like eight months since my dad died and I'm doing pretty well I'm just gonna quit cold turkey and that's a great idea um because I was like I'm strong I'm fine like I'm totally cool went off of it I was fine for like two months and then I was in New York and had a really uh, bad mushroom trip. <laughs> yeah, like, so that's, like, totally my own fault, right? I don't fuck with mushrooms anymore. <laughs> what happened? Can you tell So I was at a, I was at a rave. <laughs> and I was on mushrooms. And it was Father's Day, because what a great idea. Aww. Doing mushrooms on Father's Day. I'm on the dance floor. I'm by myself. I, like, can't find any of my friends. I accidentally got elbowed in the face by this, like, really tall person dancing next to me. And for some reason, just, like, getting smacked in the face, oh. just, like, brought... I just was, like... <laughs> yeah, like, knocked the wind out of you. Yeah, I started crying so hard. Oh, and I, like... I'd only been at the rave for, like, an hour. I, like, went back to the 
place I was staying. And when I got back into the room I was staying in, I proceeded to, like, lose my mind and, like, hallucinated, yes. like, stereotypical bad, bad trip. Like, yeah. my body's rotting. Like, I won't go into details. It Stereotypical bad trip. Oh, man. But uh, then after that, I started having panic attacks. I have never experienced anything like that in my life. Um, where, like, it's actual physical symptoms of anxiety that, like, yeah. like it felt like my body was, like, on fire on the oh, inside. Uh, and I, I get back to Detroit, and I, like, had to, like, shutter myself indoors for days. Mm. And uh, at which point I went back on my medication, and after, like, a week I felt normal sort of again. And oh, okay. then I've been good since then. But it's, like, you got to talk about this stuff because... Yeah. Like, I could feel really ashamed and guilty of the fact that I, like, thought I was a big, strong, tough person who could, like, quit my meds. Because, like, I was shaming myself for taking medication, when in reality, like, that was not, like, ever a wise idea. Like, if, if I really was that curious, I should have done it under the supervision of a psychiatrist, which I wasn't doing. Removing the cat from the table. <laughs> <laughs> um, literally, not metaphorically, there was, yeah... <laughs> Um, well, yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's so important to talk about this stuff and I think everybody has different things that work for them, you know, and like sometimes it's being on medication, sometimes it's like we all have to handle our shit, you know, and yeah. different things get thrown at us all the time and you have a lot on your plate, like just the stress you know, if your dad hadn't passed away suddenly, but like moving to a new city and, um, having a, your own business when you're 24 years old and being an artist and being a creative person. And then just like we were saying before, being a person who feels a lot of feelings and is yeah. just like emotional, like we are, mm-hmm. I think. And, and then you j- just being in our twenties, I, I think I've been saying this on the podcast forever and everyone like, no, I'm a broken record with this, but it's like, I think our twenties are just the second adolescence that no one really tells us about but that we're completely alone for. Mm. And we have to depend on like our friends and other people to kind of help us stay sane and get it, get our shit together, you know? And anyway, so I'm so ready to be out of my twenties. Like I know that that like, I feel like that's the thing I would say around someone who's not in their twenties. They'd be like, you don't like, you're going to miss it. But I'm like, I don't know. I'm sick of people not taking me seriously. I mean, I think people do take me seriously because now I have, like, my foot in enough, like, areas. Like, I've got business, art, writing going on. Yeah, but I you have a very clear voice and you have a very good platform. I still feel as though... I mean, the whole reason I didn't jump right into grad school, which I would eventually, I would like to go back to school, is because I'm like, okay, cool, I want to eventually be a sex therapist later in my life. But, like, I could do that right now and go on that path immediately but like who is gonna want a 25 26 year old sex therapist i mean maybe someone definitely would dude i would work but it's like i'd work (laughs) (laughs) but i think but also like if you don't know who i am which you know right not everyone yeah (laughs) if you're looking for a sex therapist my name's not necessarily gonna jump out at you if you don't um you can use your platform yeah. to build your client base eventually. Right, right. But, but at, at the same time, have more life experience. Yeah. There's a certain wisdom that comes with aging, I think, that's really beautiful and I'm eager for. I mean, I have I have 
a lot of experience with a lot of different partners. I mean, I wrote an article about sleeping with 99 people, uh, which, you know, it's, I wrote that article a year ago and I still get people being like, can I be the hundredth person? And I'm like, that was literally a year ago. Like, what do you think I've been doing in my time? (laughs) I mean, like, you know, it's very possible. You're going to have not had sex since then, but like, A, you shouldn't be messaging. I mean, message me whatever you want. It all goes into the DMs, whatever. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh. Something about... Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, so I have, like, a lot of, ex- like, sexual experience with, like, a wide variety of people from a wide... Many different walks of life. Um, but as far as, like, interpersonal relationships that are, like, d- full of love and, like, deep commitment, that is a very new thing to me. Uh, that I am just now sort of experiencing and it really is remarkable how I really am just like wow I think I know all this stuff about sex but like you know and I do know things about relationships like I know like all the like I can talk to other people about communication and relationships but as far as putting it into own into practice in my own life that's a totally different story and one I am like I'm just still still learning yeah it's like it's kind of like the one side of your brain having to instruct the other side of your brain when Mm -hmm. it's in the moment Mm -hmm. to do things and that's a practice I think that I definitely don't have down but it's like you can know from information and from life that communication is really great and to communicate in this positive way or whatever it is but then in the moment you just forget all that and like react and so I think it's about like I don't know it's just comes with time I guess I've also I guess for my adult life air quotes <laughs> I have mostly been in non-monogamous relationships like I've definitely you know loved people uh, and been non-monogamous with them and I've had it be very successful I mean a lot of my relationships that were non-monogamous did not end as a result of the non-monogamy it was outside factors and I think a lot of people assume like oh did it just end because like one of you grew too jealous and I'm like no no (laughs) so when you say non-monogamous that means they both of you were like aware and it was a conversation yes uh non-monogamy is an umbrella term that I use there's many different specific definitions that people in the sex ed community this community will like ascribe to this but for me non-monogamy is the umbrella term which houses polyamory which houses um swinging which houses cheating although that's non-consensual non-monogamy it's just like anything other than two people in a closed circuit okay um ideally people are open with each other but uh you know Sometimes cheating is is non monogamy, and but your situations weren't. That no, I, we were always honest. Um, there was there's only been one time I've ever cheated, uh, and I immediately like took action the following day and ended the relationship as a result, which is what should have happened from the get go. But uh, yeah, it's it. You know what I love about non monogamy is it like forces you to communicate so much more than you would otherwise, and it also 
it's not like it's a free pass, but I think that it makes people feel a lot more comfortable being like, look, like I'm having all these feelings and I'm just going to tell you all of them. Cause it's yeah. like, you're encouraged to do that. If you're not doing that, then you are like, just because you're not having conversations doesn't mean that all is well in a relationship. It means that you're not communicating. I mean, yeah. I think the two most perfect people for each other, um, realistically we'll still have miscommunications and like times where they're frustrated with the other person um this is fascinating yeah i mean most of my non-monogamous relationships sort of manifested as um like like there's been times where i've had two different primary partners where like i was mostly intimate with two people uh that knew about each other and and for the most part that would take up most of my time but sometimes I would like see someone else on the side sort of but um you know never like like if I were to meet a new person I would have to inform them of my present situation Mm -hmm. um I mean, maybe that's not the... There's so many different ways that it can manifest. I mean, like, so that would be what I would call a V, meaning I'm the base of the V, and then the two people are the two arms of the V. There's also W's where there's, you know, I have two partners, and one of those partners has another partner, and that person also has yet another partner, and we all know about each other, and we all chill and hang out, and I'm not sexual with my partner's partner, but we spend time together, and that's fine. Um... You know, and I mean, that's just the ways it's kind of manifested in my life. But there's so many other times where, you know, there's definitely like poly families where everyone's in love with each other or, you know, there'll be more than two people involved who are all in love with each other and they're all in a relationship with each other. But there's just so many ways it can. I think it's good to talk about this kind of thing, too, because none of it is really shown in the media and people don't want to talk about it. Especially in the Midwest. Yeah. When I first came here, I felt like, like this an is blowing alien. my mind. Yeah. Yeah, like oh, when I first came here too, while I have had non-monogamous relationships here that worked out very well and everyone was very happy with the arrangement, it there was so many times where I would start seeing someone, I'd be honest with them, I'd be like, "Look, like, you know, as soon as it like moved anything past just like se- purely sexual." I mean, and I would talk about it then too, but I would also be like, "Look, I'm a non-monogamous person if you think that, like, this is likely not going in a monogamous direction. And I would say that from the get-go. And people would be like, oh, totally. Like, this is new to me, but thanks for telling me. Sure. And then, like, a few weeks would go by. And they'd be like, nope. I, no, nope. I can't do this. I'm feeling, no, I'm freaking out. No. (laughs) And then I was like, wait a minute. No, like, I'm the heartbroken one. Or, you know, maybe that's a bit of a strong word heartbroken but I'd be like you know like I felt like I'm the one walking away feeling sad a lot of the time because I'm like I'm being so honest with you when you're telling me you're down for this and then like you just switch your mind on me and that's fine that's totally fine I can't make anybody meet on do you think some people can't do it or do you think it just takes I don't know I don't know if I can do it I think that no one I, I first of all I think a lot of people who are non-monogamous I've I've at least met people who, who are like monogamy is a social construct it's bullshit I don't believe that I think that there's 
people that monogamy makes a lot more sense for and people that non-monogamy makes a lot more sense for. I think like that... personality types? Yeah, there? and I don't think that they're mutually exclusive either. Like, I um, definitely am behaving a lot more monogamously presently, although I still don't call my present situation a monogamous relationship. Um, it definitely from the outside would look very much that way. Um, so, but like, so another thing I'm learning about myself is like, I don't have to be non-monogamous all the time. Like maybe there's a certain person who non-monogamy really works between the two of us and other times where, um, more of a closed circuit makes more sense and that can always change during the course of a relationship. Um, yeah. How did you meet your current? Oh, you know, just like in the social scene and around town. Um, yeah, that's kind of like how all my the people I've been intimate with in Detroit. It's like you. It's very hard to not know the people, I guess. I mean, which is why I was also like, why haven't I seen you around? Like, where yeah. have you been? Well, apparently, I need to hang out with you more. <laughs> and meet more people. Um, yeah. So. I guess just mutual friends. Uh, I mean, to take this a different direction too, I am also totally a fan of online dating. I used to work for OkCupid, which is a whole other can of worms. Um, I think that there is no like right or wrong way to meet somebody. And it's so funny because I'll I'll meet some people who are like, I really want to online date, but like, what if we get married? What are we going to tell our kids? I'm like, you tell them that you freaking met online because they're going to, be like they're gonna be holograms and they're not gonna care. <laughs> like, like, like I, I want a good story. Like I'm addicted to this. Right. I like the story. But right. I, I think know. a clumsy, honest story is like the keyest yeah. sometimes too. It's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> so are you on dating sites? Presently, no. Also, oh, online dating in Detroit is very different than online dating in New York or anywhere else. Yeah. Like in New York, my my positive experiences with online dating have really mostly just been in New York. Although, I mean, for every good experience, there is a not so good experience. But my positive experiences have surely outnumbered my negative ones, well, and it's just more volume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Detroit, though, it's kind of like when I like have used Tinder or OkCupid, it's just like, oh, I know that person, I know that person, I know that Whenever person. Whenever I see someone I know, <laughs> I freak out and close the app. Cause I oh, know. I always, I'm like, match. <laughs> I'm like, let's see if we match. And then I just like use it as a new chat app with that person. I'm just like, we can just talk Hi. to each other on here, right? Um, no, but I, you know, I stopped using OkCupid even before I met the person I'm currently seeing just because it was, it was just getting pretty dark in Detroit for me personally. I was just not vibing with, I just felt like I didn't really have as much in common with the people I was meeting online. Although I think it is a wise decision in such a small community to date people that, are not in your friend group for many reasons. I think there's also plenty of reasons it's a good thing to do too, but I, I think that it's a great tool for just kind of like, you know, if you're meeting everyone that you're intimate with through a mutual friend, it does have more, you know, 
there's just more things to consider when yeah. someone is in your same social circle. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> there was one time last summer that uh, one of the many people who rejected me because I was a non-monogamous person, <laughs> when he and I were trying to be non-monogamous um, for the brief period of time, he was like, oh, I've got like a date with someone tonight. I was like, fuck yeah, go for it. And then, like, so I go out that night with, like, some of my girlfriends, and the pl- place we go is the same bar that he's oh on God. a date at. Like a and we were just like, no. And it was, like, so awkward, too. Like, we just kind of ignored each other, which, by the way, is not the right way to handle that situation. You do not ignore each other. Like, if you can't acknowledge each other in a public space, you should not be doing non-monogamy, you know? It's like, it's gonna happen. So I just was like, cool, he's clearly uncomfortable. I'm gonna give him space. And, like, so he left the bar, and I'm there with my friends, and then my friends are like, oh, we're gonna go to a different bar. Go to the different bar. He comes there, too? Yeah. Oh, my God. Two in a row. Two in a row. And, And after that, understandably... He was like, I can't do this anymore. I was like, yeah, it would have been fine, though. You couldn't even make eye contact with me. Oh, and, like, I knew the girl I was on a date with. I was like, I'm fine with you. Like, it's fine. Like, yeah. And that's that's another thing about non-monogamy is, is that, je- like, you're still going to be jealous. Like, just because you're, like, the people who are in the most, like, yeah, cemented non-monogamy. So what yeah. feelings did you feel? Um, I totally can still feel jealous in a situation like that. Although I think everyone feels jealous. There's no such thing as a person who feels zero jealousy. If they say that they are never jealous, they are so lying. Um, it's about managing. What? Do you think that it's just healthy to feel that? I think that like, you're about to say, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I think there's people who naturally are more jealous types perhaps, but I, I think that the unhealthy behavior is stifling the feeling. Like, whenever I feel jealous, I actually feel kind of proud of myself because I will, like, like say to myself, I'm like, I am feeling jealous right now. Yeah. That is not a feeling I am excited to be feeling, but I'm acknowledging it. Oh, and right. it's so much easier to move on. And also, I mean, the this isn't the right way to see things, but it's like, I kind of feel like the bigger person if I'm the one comfortable with it. But that's also being the bigger person is like me also looking at it from a standpoint of it often ending in conflict in these relationships I've had with people who were not comfortable with it. And, um, yeah, like I do, I do feel, you know, what makes me feel jealous is like, it's, it's so funny because I think some people feel jealous about, like, the way someone looks at someone or the way someone might touch someone or interact with someone. And it's, like, so hard to put my finger on. But what makes me feel jealous is, like, if I have feelings for someone and they're interacting with another person in a way that doesn't, like, acknowledge my existence. Mm-hmm. Like, like, if I um, yeah. have, like, some type of relationship with a person and they're going on a date with another person and I know about it and you know they've disclosed everything to their date as well but if they're not like 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 when I on the flip side if I am on a date with a new person I gush about my partner like I'm just like oh like 
this is the other person I'm seeing. They know about this. And like, this is what our dynamic is about. It makes that new person also feel a lot more comfortable. Um, because I've been the new partner in a situation where, um, like one time I was seeing a guy who frequently visited New York, but didn't live in New York. And he had a mostly monogamous relationship back home. And she knew that he saw other people and I remember him just kind of being like, oh, she is the greatest. I'm like so in love with her. And like, just so you know, like this is never going to usurp, usurp. Oh, I can't say that word. <laughs> this is not going to replace that relationship. Uh, just so you know, this is like my primary focus. And I was just like, fuck yeah. Like what a lucky person, you know? Yeah. And to me, that made me like, the guy so much more because I was like he really values his partner yeah. because he is taking a significant amount of time to yeah. like make it clear to me and it I felt a little uncomfortable like I was just like wow like that's some that's really big but I was like awesome that means I'm like also important that's fine like I the, the more information the more comfortable I feel and that's not true for everyone I think a lot I mean Every relationship also sets different boundaries. Some people have don't ask, don't tell. Some people will be like, tell me if you have sex, but don't tell me anything else. Or There's so many different ways it can work out. And it's really just everyone's comfort level. And uh, But yeah, like that experience with that guy, um, that made me realize like that's kind of what I want. Like if my partner is going on a date with someone else, I don't care if they're, you know, I'm just like, A, have safe sex with them. You know, that's like my first Thing I, I'm really I care about um, because it's putting both of us at risk if you're not having safe sex and uh, and then like you know acknowledge me like talk about me and be like oh yeah like Zoe she's yeah. so she's the coolest and you know everyone's pretty good about that for the most part um, but it's also the kind of thing where it's just like always just such an ongoing conversation like I I don't really while there are many things that are deal breakers I I like, if, if a partner of mine were to do something that maybe upset me a little bit, I am trying to also not be the person who runs away freaking out and uses the experience to make it a more strong relationship going forward. I think that, that is also such a benefit of communicating, even when it seems like, oh, we're so fucked right now you can still come out on the other side and just be like, we understand each other so much better. This is what caused the upset in my partner. This is what caused the upset in me. This is how I can handle my feelings in the future. This is how I can make them feel more comfortable in the future. Uh, it's just, it's so much thinking. I yeah. think a stereotype of non-monogamy is like, oh, everyone's so wild and free and crazy and living their life. It's like, <laughs> no, it's just like, you have to, think so much more yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. a lot to a lot to handle mm -hmm. I, I really liked what you said there about like the naming the judging I think that's so important like you know I'm always feel like I'm trying to like do cognitive behavioral therapy on myself of like naming a feeling and then just like trying to understand oh I'm feeling jealous and then you can figure out that that's what's happening and do yeah. something about that but I think in any situation, you know, I'm feeling sad, like first acknowledging it because I think we go through life like so unaware of our feelings that we're having. So I think it's just good to find awareness and anyway. Let's let's go back to Detroit. Why did mm. you 
want to come here? How did you like find out about it? You didn't grow up anywhere near here. I'm so curious about that. <laughs> okay, the first time I ever heard mention of Detroit as a like play like a like whenever it was the first time it was <laughs> first time it was presented to me in a way that made me feel really attracted to the idea of living in Detroit was I was still living in Maryland and I was at a festival that does not exist anymore in Baltimore called Wartscape. It was the final Wartscape. Wartscape. Like a music festival? Yeah. It was kind of like weird Baltimore music. Like Dan Deacon was one of the organizers and there's a lot of bands that are now more well known, like Future Islands that was oh. kind of part of that circle. But a lot of also like weirder, bizarre acts as well but those are like two of the more notable people who were in it um and my friend my now friends <laughs> um in lord scrummage here were playing at the festival and they had a little table set up and lord scrummage was alex um well who goes by clyde moop uh and like a few other people and <laughs> i think i was talking to someone I'm pretty sure it was my friend Natalie like my friend Natalie and I have talked about this before how we were at the same festival before we knew each other yeah and I'm, I think I actually talked to her if not it was like it was someone else who was like working their merch table that's and funny. I was like the stuff you're selling is so weird I love it and they were like yeah we're we live in Detroit like we're gonna have scrummage fest it's really similar to this you should come and like literally I was like like said to my friends, I was like, oh, God, we got to go to Detroit to Scrummage Fest. This is so cool. And it didn't end up happening also because I was like 18 and going to college that year. So, <laughs> um, but it kind of, you know, like stuck in the back of my head as like a place where shit was happening. And I thought Baltimore was such a magical place, you know, because it's like, it's not New York. It's not LA. It's not like London or it's, it's not like this like cultural epicenter, but it kind of was to me in that there was weird stuff happening. It was not about being famous or like social climbing. It was just like, we like making our weird art and we're gonna keep making our weird art. And I just happened to like it. And I was yeah. like, I wanna absorb your weird art. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, and then when New York started to become a little bit overwhelming for me, I. So I, I came to Detroit in the fall of 2014 for kind of like a trial stay. I subletted. So you graduated from college. I graduated from college a year early, unexpectedly. I graduated in 2013 instead of 2014. And I found out like the year that I was graduating that I was graduating early. Mm -hmm. So I had no plan because I was like, oh, I'll I secure my it. job for graduation yeah. or whatever. And so you studied I, psychology? Mm-hmm. So I just feel like I got farted out of college with, like, nothing except a degree oh, so and a job at a sex toy store. Yeah. And uh, so when I had some free time, I went to Detroit for two months, and my dad died while I was in Detroit mm. during my subletting. And it was, like, right in the middle of my stay. And I couldn't go back to my apartment because there were people living in it. And I had no other family in Maryland to stay with other than my dad, who was dead. And I was not staying in his empty house. Right. Uh, so I went back to Detroit where I was staying. And everyone was so fucking nice to me. Mm. Like, everyone... I remember... 
I, I, I didn't leave the house for the first day after my dad died, but I was seeing somebody here at the time and uh, he was like coming over, making me food and stuff. And then mm-hmm. the second day I was like, you know what, I'm going to like go out and go to a bar or something. And he and I go to a bar together and uh, I think, I, I don't think he said anything, but word had kind of just traveled so quickly that everyone knew I was like the girl whose dad had just died because I was just like a basket case. And uh, I remember the bartender like going into the basement and like pulling out this like fancy bottle of tequila and just being like, you can have as much of this as you want. Aww. You know, and like, it's like, that's such a small gesture. I mean it's not to have a total stranger do that for you. That's actually quite a large gesture, I think. But, uh, it was just like, everyone was so nice to me. I felt so cared about and no one really had any reason to, because I was only living there temporarily at the time. And I'd only been there a month. I didn't have any other friends that I had known me for longer than a single month. And then I go back to New York at the end of the two months and everybody in New York just like, you know, if they acknowledged it, they, you know, they they would acknowledge it, but no one really wanted to, like, go in-depth about what yeah. had happened. Like, just no one had the emotional capacity. And I don't blame them because I was also an asshole when I lived in New York, too. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until I got out of there. I was like, wait, everyone here is a robot. Everyone sucks. Sorry, all, new, all people in New York. That does yeah. not apply to everyone. But, like, I was so guilty of that. I was an emotional robot. I'm sure I know that there was at least one year I did not cry. Which is, like, not me at all. And I was, like, proud of that. I was, like, yeah, I'm not crying. Yeah. I was, like, why is that something to be proud of exactly? Oh, like, because you're hardened and you, like, are impenetrable? Cool. Like, that's such a surface level way of living your life. It's different here. I mean, I'm probably going to be crying during this conversation. Yay! (laughs) Tears. Yes. No. Uh, That's so... It doesn't surprise me that you were embraced I think there is whenever I'm in New York or I'm in LA like people can tell I'm midwestern <laughs> and it's like oh my god is it the scrunchie like you know is it what I'm wearing ah, scrunchies like, are the best yeah totally yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I think it's it is that it's like we want to go there with people and like have a conversation and I didn't realize that it was different until people started to say that to me and that doesn't surprise me and I'm so happy that people like acted with kindness to you here i yeah i feel like so vulnerable but kind of in an exciting way when i'm in a big city like i'll just be so nice to people like i think the last time i was in new york i was at a coffee shop working or something and i was just like trying to be so conversational with the person who was working and they just like did not want to fucking talk to me yeah and uh they were like oh did you just move here i was like no i used to move i used to live here okay like, oh, yeah. <laughs> i was just like oh, i'm just i'm friendly <laughs> yeah like you're in that like kind now. of this like backhanded like oh did you just move here and I was like, <laughs> it's so no i just funny. want to talk to you <laughs> isn't it funny how pe- the different locations can change personalities so yeah. much it's fascinating so with the work that you do and being a sex educator, do you feel like you're more needed here because people are less open? Can you talk about that a little bit? For sure. There's been... So Michigan, I did not know this when I moved here, is so conservative that 
basically our state government might as well be like we might as well be a red state and we're so especially surrounding sexuality i mean we still have sodomy laws on the books like what does that mean technically it is illegal to give or receive oral or anal sex yep what does that mean (laughs) yeah and it's not enforceable because it's unconstitutional at the federal level if if anyone was ever charged with uh, you know, like you blew somebody. We're you're going to jail. You can go to technically, but our state government says you can go to jail. However, you could just appeal it at the federal. Like you know, I've got I see I'm like showing my lack of knowledge yeah. about legal stuff. Yeah. You could just appeal it, and it would never. You could just take right. it to federal court, basically, and it would get thrown out. But the it fact that that is like written in our law books, yeah. and the reason they haven't taken it out is because. The law is very closely written with a law about bestiality. So, because bestiality is illegal. And what the, does that mean? You can't have sex with animals. You can't okay, fuck an animal. <laughs> um, and that is because animals cannot consent to sex. Uh, <laughs> and so the, the, the wording is so closely intertwined with this law about sex with animals that, which is also like, think about the fact that we have a law that addresses sex between humans in the same paragraph where it addresses sex with animals. Like that's super ridiculous to begin with, but so they're just afraid to take it out because they don't want to like disrupt that law regarding bestiality. So, like, state government knows that it's not a real law that they can enforce, but at the same time, they're like, we're just not going to touch it. But it's like, no, this is still, like, you go into our, like, code, and it's How right there. How did you there. educate yourself about all of this? Um, through trial and error, and also out of the fear of being personally sent to jail. Although, I will die on my own sword. You know, like, if I get sent to jail for something sex education related, I will not be jazzed. But, like, it will be a valid reason to do that. Like, if that sends a message, fine. Um, Don't arrest me. I don't want to go to jail. But, uh, you know, I talk to my lawyer a lot because, actually, so there was an article about the sodomy laws in Michigan um, that, oh, and I will will get back to your question about why it's sex education is here. We're we're, we're getting there. We are getting there. We've got the thread going. Um, I was about to write an article, or I had already written it. It was about to be published that week. It was an article about um, an experiment I did where I played with my butt every day for an entire week. And it was just like a write-up of that. And I was like, great. Am I actually in legal trouble for releasing an article about butt sex right now? Because, like, technically, I mean, I don't know. I'm putting it in words. I was like, I don't know how this could hold up. And my lawyer explained that it's not enforceable. So I learned through, you know, talking to her that uh, I was safe. But, uh, I mean, the... So, to now go to the larger picture, there are so many other laws like these sodomy laws on the books that are just as messed up and just as, uh, you know, like, I don't know, what is this, the 1800s? But, um... So there's been so many times where I'm like, I'm not wanted here. Like I can't run my sex toy store the way I could in another city. It's really but, so much easier. Yeah. Way. Like it, it's just, it, there's so many things preventing me from just full, full on free expression here. But at the same time, 
Uh, if I moved to LA or San Francisco or New York, I would just be one of a million sex educators. And I know a lot of other sex educators in Detroit. They're definitely here, but it's just, there's so fewer of us. And, uh, big fish in the small Exactly. Pond. It's just like, you know, I, why would I just, if, yeah. If you could have people, because there's people listening to this mm-hmm. all over mm-hmm. the, the country so where if you could give people one thing that you would want everyone to know to feel less alone to be more educated about sex and their bodies what would you say Mm. I think that a lot of our fear about sexuality and our bodies comes from a lack of knowledge and I mean and that's not true for everyone sometimes like WebMDing stuff is not a good idea but uh, I think the more you know surrounding a subject the the more you can have like a grasp on what's actually happening with your body and for so long I thought I was like the only person who was not having orgasms and it's unfortunately a lot of women a lot a lot of And the same thing goes for erectile dysfunction. The same thing goes for, you know, like there's just, there's so many things that can go wrong with our bodies or um, just, there's just, there's so many things that we are really truly not alone for. And I mean, like part of the reason I was like, I'm going to write about gonorrhea is because when I had gonorrhea, I tried to Google, you know, like advice for gonorrhea And I couldn't find anything that discussed, like, practical advice on, like, okay, what do you say when you call your partners that tell them you have gonorrhea? Like, there's no practical advice. So I think, like, just because you can't find another person you identify with that's sharing in your struggle doesn't mean that that person doesn't exist. Sometimes you have to be the pioneer of connecting with another person. And I always think it's better to experience these... um, like whatever your issue might be with another person instead of by yourself because we're we're so myopic and subjective mm-hmm. in our opinions there's no way for us to truly have a grasp on the bigger picture when we're not um talking about what we're feeling uh as a person who was really scared to share their feelings for a really long time i think that uh just not censoring yourself i mean it's certainly there's within reason a you know we don't share everything on our social medias per se but uh i just think just not shaming yourself which is so much easier said than done and trying to use your negative experiences to create positive ones i guess is also a more general way to look at it like like yeah a scary fucked up thing might have happened to you but you can find a way to share that experience with other people that will not only educate them and prepare them for if that happens to them one day, but you know, maybe someone else is dealing with something completely different and just commiserating with someone else is such a powerful thing. Um, I mean, so, (laughs) I mean, there's a reason that when I write an article about like, I don't know, like five blowjob tips, that just doesn't have as much traction, not as many people. It doesn't get as much traffic as an article about that I wrote about, like, the time I dated someone who had herpes and why, at that time, 
when I was dating someone who had herpes, that was like all that mattered to me. I was just like, how, what the fuck am I going to do? I love this person. I want to have sex with them. I'm terrified of their body at the same time. And then through learning more about herpes, so that's where like educating yourself on what's, whatever's bothering you. Um, through learning about herpes, I was like, wow, I can make a really informed decision and I know exactly what level of risk I'm at, how I can reduce my risk. And then I wrote about it and I, and that resonated with so many more people than, you know, like had a, you know, great butt plugs. (laughs) It's just like people, um, everyone, everyone is experiencing something like that. And, uh, the more we can connect and not shut down when we're feeling that way. Well, I think yeah. I, I, I heard you say once before, too, it's really important that you put your real name with your writing mm. because there aren't very many first-person accounts of things and people, there's so much shame when it comes to talking about real topics like sex and our bodies, and that's really important to you. So do you find, does it make you feel... Is it cathartic for you to share what you share in the writing? And just talk about that a little bit. Right. I definitely initially used a pen name that I very quickly abandoned and I never really put up the proper security anyway to have people not find my real name. Um, Well, what's really great about it is that, yeah, I'm I'm not hiding. I'm saying, you know... (laughs) Like, you can just look me up. Uh, I mean, one time I was crossing the border into Canada, and they were, like, looking me up at the in the office, and they were like, do you, did you write this? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it is so difficult, too. What were they like to you? Did they let you in? Were they, nice? they They let me in, but they definitely were, like, kind of, like, stifling laughter. <laughs> And this was like a while ago. This was, I didn't have as much online, but it was definitely still like funny Google results. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I just went and they were like, it was a process going whoa. over the border. I mean, it was like fine, but anyway, it's like a long story, but they were like, oh, I, cause I was meeting friends that I had met online, uh-huh. this sort of a thing. And that <laughs> you would tell people that so you met much. people online, they get very confused. It's like, I don't want to lie to you, but now that I'm being honest with you, I know you're going to interrogate Right. So for future, (laughs) I'm always just going to say mutual friends. Like, that's how I met the people I'm staying with or whatever. Yeah. Just to, like, make things easier. Anyway. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, it's pretty as straightforward as, uh, how could I send the message of being open and honest about sexuality while hiding behind... A person that isn't me and that is also not to shame people who use pen names because you know what we're also at a large amount of physical risk people who write about these subjects i mean there has been multiple threads about me on 4chan which if you don't know what 4chan is it's just like where every troll in the world lives yeah. <laughs> it's just like land, land of <laughs> trolls and um yeah, I mean, like, you can get doxxed. People, if people know your real name, they can find your personal information. It's not that hard to find it online, which is also why, if you're really concerned about that, make sure you do reverse searches on your phone number, reverse searches on your address, see if it pops up anywhere. Like, my phone number was on the internet, and I had no idea. And it was because I registered a domain for my name with my phone number. And then I started getting weird texts from people. Oh. Um, so it's just like... There is also such a good reason to be 
hidden under a name and there's nothing wrong with that because until society evolves to the point where you're not going to get attacked yeah like protect yourself um i recently got a security system because i was like you know i live in a really safe neighborhood but uh i'm not taking any chances because it just takes one person who is like i hate feminists or whatever (laughs) whatever they're upset about um and then you know you've got like a real life problem that isn't on the internet and that's like then it just shuts you down altogether then you just can't create any more contact when you're feeling scared so there is also a reason to be anonymous yeah yeah that makes sense um (laughs) so okay so kind of off topic or Mm -hmm. on topic i don't know tangential conversation Mm -hmm. what what do you think about social media do you ever feel like you need to disconnect you you grew up with Mm -hmm. it it's always been part of your life what you have this really strong presence and voice what are your thoughts and feelings about social media? Right. So I, for the most part, enjoy social media. I think that it comes naturally to me and that for some reason, the goofier I am, the more of a positive response I get. Like I can take a sexy photo and like a goofy photo and they'll like do relatively about about the same as far as like the response it gets. I mean, it's so funny to talk about things in that way doesn't it yeah. um I, so i have a lot of friends that are also very heavy into social media like have a very it's a chunk of their life and uh you know for me social media is like really directly linked to business like mm-hmm. if i have a post that performs really well on a given day it directly correlates to my sales um which is hilarious but it also means that i force myself to create content every day and and most of the time i am like yeah content 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 and then other days i'm like wow i really just i'm feeling really introverted i do not want to post anything but i gotta post stuff and i never force myself to like there's definitely times i'll take a day off but it like it reflects in my sales um and I think that's, like, a really also an easy way for me to justify it because I think there's also this, like, shaming culture of people who are, like, taking selfies and whatever. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I definitely think that there is, like, a level where it's like, all right, Brenda, you've been taking 10... You know, but it's also just, like, you know, it really permeates everything around us. It is also... I mean, it's, it's so weird to try to, like, be meta about a selfie, but I think that, well, first of all, selfies have been happening for a really long time before, you know, phones existed. People were taking photos of themselves on camera, doing self-portraits in other mediums, um, and I don't think people were as quick to call those people selfish, yeah. but um, I also think that, uh, yeah, it's like you're not praised for loving yourself um aesthetically i mean it it seems very surface level um i mean i definitely i'm sure i can't think of a specific time but i'm sure i've seen somebody been like oh they're just so into themselves whatever and i'm sure that there's people who think that about me um i mean i am really into myself i think everyone should be yeah yeah exactly like an important thing for people to to me you're such a great (laughs) example of being confident and 
Like, I just want to be around you because you're so positive and upbeat. And I know that that's like not, there's so many more dimensions to you, but that's what I have seen. And you're so confident. You're confident like sexually, but with your business and with just the way that you interact in the world or at least what I've seen so what advice do you have for people to have that level of confidence what advice this is not about me this is selfish (laughs) I mean I talking speaking of selfish like I'm someone who records most of my conversations and like makes friends with people by the person yeah I've never I've never been like oh this person has a podcast they're Mm -hmm. so selfish like I don't know I think it also is a certain level of projection like if someone is like, oh, this person is so vain. That person is probably, like, worried that they are also vain. Yeah. Um, and I think vanity is okay to an extent. I mean, everything in we're moderation. All, we're all... Everything in moderation. Yeah, we're all vain. We're um, all... As far as being confident, um, I definitely think that there's, like, areas of life where I'm really confident. Mm-hmm. I, But also areas of life where I don't feel so confident. I mean, I don't run my business by myself. I have people who I ask for advice from. There's people who I pay to work for me. Um, It takes a team. I mean, I didn't design my website. I hired someone to design it for me. And, you know, I am quite insecure in many ways. Like, sometimes people will be like, your website's so beautiful. I'm like, oh, my God, it's got so many bugs. Like, I'm so stressed out, like, about the web development. People are like, okay. And then I realize very quickly, like, no one cares. No one notices the teeny little bugs. So, like, why am I making it so... perfectionist? Yeah, like, yeah, like, uh, you know, not really, um... Maybe, maybe a little bit. Yeah. So I guess like confidence. (laughs) When people are being shitty to you or accusing you of a thing, oftentimes it's projection, but not always. I, you, you know what I learned about recently that I'm really into? I mean, I guess I didn't just learn about this, but it was like put into more specific context is calling someone out versus calling someone in. So Mm -hmm. like... A call out would be like, you know, you post something that I think is racist and on Facebook and I comment being like, that was really racist. You for this and this and this reason and like, like, I'm going to put you in your place and blah, blah, blah. And that is not necessarily the wrong way to handle that. Sometimes that is totally it's it's public. A call out is public. Um, But another way of handling that same situation is like sending that person a private message being like, hey, I felt this way from reading what you wrote. You might want to consider the fact that you're being racist (laughs) or like, just like kind of like more like you're trying to actually like be human. Yeah. Or you're, you're trying to like actually create a change and not that a call out doesn't do that either. I mean, this is also, I'm probably not explaining this the best way. I'm sure there's someone else who do a much better job of explaining it. I'm so not confident. <laughs> but uh, I think that, like, taking someone aside can really actually create, like, a permanent change in that person. Totally. Because then I if, if you I'm call, totally on yeah. level. If yeah. you call someone out there, you know, probably feeling really embarrassed, more likely, because it's more of a public thing. And it's like you're talking to a brick wall. Right. So I think that... Uh, let, me, let me bring this one back into confidence. Yeah, land this plan. Um, yeah, I feel like... One way that I don't feel confident is I feel really concerned about the way that other people will perceive what I'm putting out into the world. 
But I think if you take into account that even if you fail at your mission, like let's say I'm trying to convey this point um, by, you know, like, or like I, yeah, so I, I make, I <laughs> make a statement or something um, and every, it just like everyone thinks I'm a totally shitty person for saying or doing whatever I've done. Um, I try to see it as a learning experience and like, be like, okay, like, please like talk to me. Like, how can I do better next time? Like, I think that being confident is not seeing a failure or a flaw as the end of the road. And oh, there's just been so, there's so many times I've been embarrassed. There's so many times I've doubted myself. Um, sometimes the things that I feel the least secure about are the things that are the most uh, exciting and polished to another person. It's so subjective. Yeah. Um, I think I am kind of like rambling and not really getting to that's the specific That's a podcast part. Yeah. No, that's podcast. good. So do you... I'm I'm kind of going all over the place because I have so many more questions, but I want we're gonna do them as like quick fire questions. Yeah, do it, do it. So, do you, was your dad and are you still close with your mom? I am. I'm gonna see her when I go into New York. This oh, week. nice. She lives in New York. Tell her hi. Hi. <laughs> well, are they, have they always been open with sexuality? Like, did they grow up teaching you about sex? Have were they? Are they supportive with what you do now? Yeah, my mom was definitely the person I felt comfortable asking about specific questions pertaining to sex growing up. But uh, it's funny because as I started making my artwork and going into business, my mom's actually probably going to listen to this. Hi, mom. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She definitely felt uncomfortable with the fact that I, you know, I think it was like the fact that I was her little girl. And, uh, it's so funny because I thought my mom was like, like a pretty, like liberal parent. And she totally is like, she totally is a liberal person. Um, but I think it definitely just changes everything when it's someone in your own family. I think that closeness to somebody can really just skew your perspective on what is happening. And it was definitely a hard thing for me to come to terms with like I definitely beat myself up a lot of it and was just like oh like my mom doesn't love me because I'm this sexual deviant or whatever that was never the case that was never ever the case but it definitely took time for her to get familiar with the way I was living my life but now that I like she knows that this is me and she I don't think she would ever tell me to live my life a different way um I think she just feels like I think she also shares in the vulnerability feeling because I am an extension of her and uh you know there have been times I've written articles that have involved my mom there's been times that trolls have contacted my mom um and it's so funny because I remember like one time I was like monitoring this thread about me uh, where everyone was talking so much shit about me and they were like it was some of the nastiest things ever said about me like I wanted to do you I, still read it all? yeah honestly it kind of is like a way to toughen my skin like I love like, ex, like exposure so? therapy I feel like I don't know I feel like I don't know I just want to like come in and protect you and be like please don't read any of that oh, you're you know, amazing great so, so I was reading this thread and I remember them saying like oh I'm Facebook friends with Zoe I'm gonna like find her mom and then we can just like send her all these like slutty pictures of her daughter and oh and so I called my mom immediately I was just like hey you might get 
contacted by some people who don't have nice things to say about me. Just want to give you a heads up. And she was like, (laughs) and I was worried that it was going to make her really anxious. But she was just like, honestly, I'm kind of surprised that this hasn't already happened to us. And I was like, oh, you're so on my team. I love you. You know, it's it's just like this slow process. Um, But yeah, so like in this same specific thread... It was so good. I like some, it was a pretty recent one. Uh, (laughs) Someone, people really love to bring up like, oh, like she's probably like, like her, her dad dying made her be this sexual deviant, which is so funny to me because I was this person way before my dad died. So I'm like, get get your facts straight. First of all. Yeah. And you were already doing it online yeah but there's there's like so like so many people have just been like yeah like a bit that she so like i wrote an article about using big dildos and she was like and there was one person who commented like i bet she just like uses big dildos because like like her dad's dick wasn't big enough for just like something like really fucked up that like even just like reading the words just like made me feel like panic attack mode but, like, at the same time, I'm like, this is the most ridiculous comment I've yeah. ever read. Like, it's the kind of thing where it's, like, when you read someone who, like, accuses, who, like, is like, yeah, like, she, she's, like, so, like, her parents must have abused her or whatever. Like, it does have this, like, very, like, guttural reaction of, like, oh, my God. Like, like do people see me this way? No, not at all. Not at all. My parents were both loved the shit out of me. Like, I was, I was raised so <laughs> Where do you think you got your sexual education from? Really yourself? and? Oh, um, well, the store I worked at did a lot of the education for me. Like, they, I was very vigorously trained before I was allowed to sell sex toys. <laughs> As you one would hope. Right. Um, but then a lot of it was just reading a lot of books, um, a lot of self-teaching, for sure. So what we were talking about before with, like, the state of sexual health education is like basically nothing and terrible. And mm-hmm. Like I feel like I'm a basically a teenager when it comes to sex and everything that I've learned. Like so, I feel so, and I talked to you about this before. Like I feel so behind, and I feel like I'm learning so much now. But if you could like have a dream for what sex education would be in this country or in the world. There's a great, like, I think John Oliver or something. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, what would you envision um, sex education being? Or how, what is your dream for that? Or how do you want to impact that right. in your work? I think that uh, sex education definitely, while a parent should play a role in educating their child, it's definitely not the sole responsibility of the parent because I think inherently, there is such a disconnect between a parent and a child. Like, like I think there's definitely certain parent-child relationships where it might be appropriate, but I think it definitely does belong in a place of learning, like a school. I think that we should have sex education um, before puberty, during puberty, after puberty, like, continuously as adults. Um, I mean, and it's not the kind of thing where I think everyone should be forced to go to sex school. It's just like, the, it, someone needs to be available for um, someone who is learning about their body in a sexual kind way. Kind of like driver's ed, like a separate... <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, like, I think 
like I think the way I was taught sexuality was great on paper like I had sex education in middle school and in high school but uh, like sex education in high school for instance was just one small unit in one semester of health class that was mandatory and it was just like maybe we spent a week on it yeah and we talked about anatomy and we talked about pregnancy and we talked about STDs but we didn't talk about like okay um, they kind of just scare you for a week. I yeah, think. yeah. I think that having sex education be um, that mandatory. I mean, there is a lot of... Uh, so Obama just basically banned um, abstinence-only sex education in schools. However, that doesn't mean that teachers won't take it upon their own. And school districts won't, you know, do whatever the fuck they want in the classroom. I mean, just because legislature's been passed doesn't mean that people aren't going to still continue to teach abstinence-only sex education. Which, by the way, statistically does not, like, do anything positive. Um, actually, the more... And I mean, there's like so many infinite studies to back this up that um, pregnancy and STI rates are reduced the more sex education a kid receives. And this is studies by school district and by actual like specific samples of student students. And, you know, it's just across the board, uh, the more information you have, the um, less likely you are to. I mean, and and that's. I mean, like, that's why, like, you see things in the news, like, uh, like, there was, like, a giant chlamydia outbreak in a high school in Texas where, like, literally every kid in the high school had chlamydia, and it was, like, you know, in an abstinence-only area. And I'm not saying that that's, like, a direct one-to-one correlation, but you're not gonna stop the behavior by eradicating the discussion of it that's why i also and this is a more controversial opinion of mine i believe in the legalization of all drugs um just because from you know if something is made legal and available it is way less likely to be abused i worked at a needle exchange in new york or i volunteered at one rather um my last year in college so the third year I was living in New York and uh it was great I had no idea what a needle exchange was until I took the volunteer position but basically the concept is um you can bring in a used needle no questions asked and you receive a clean needle in exchange and so it's the concept is harm reduction meaning you know uh people that are going to be using IV drugs whether it's legal or not so let's make sure that they're doing it as safely as possible um and that's not just you know iv drugs but it's also um like i guess this is iv but you know people will who take hormones for example that's an injection and not everybody has access or can afford Uh, clean needles so they reuse the same needles or you know what have you and I mean there's plenty of reasons someone would need a clean needle and just like making that service available reduces the chances of like hepatitis C transmission HIV transmission lots of other infectious diseases so I mean it's funny too because moving to Michigan where weed is medically legal and I have my medical marijuana card I am so law-abiding like I I really just like don't break any laws with my like substance use uh, because 
I have the freedom to smoke weed and like it doesn't like pot no longer and I mean you know this is a bit of an exaggeration but like pot no longer has this like mythical property to it like weed in Detroit is just as pedestrian as alcohol like it's just as easy to just like go pick up an eighth as it is to like pick up a handle so uh, I think taking the mystery and inaccessibility well, like away yeah drinking is legal when you're younger yeah. and there's yeah. less problems with it and but anyway i think your point is that more education is always a good thing exactly and that's kind of the legacy that knowledge I is power yeah so another thing we always talk about on this show which has been my biggest struggle that i think really connects with struggles with sex and with intimacy is body image so Mm -hmm. have you ever struggled with body image or had issues with your body I think so many so many people in general have and what what have you learned what have you come to recently I wrote an article about this so for more information oh yeah (laughs) Uh, um, so about two years ago so when I when I moved to New York I slowly put on weight And it was just the fact that I wasn't exercising. I was taking care of myself for the first time in my life. So I was just eating not as healthfully. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would get remarks about my weight, uh, but they never really bothered me. But they started kind of increasing in frequency. People always thought I was pregnant because I carried all my weight in my stomach. And like to the point where like people would... both intentionally and unintentionally like they would be like congratulations on your baby like trying to be really sweet and then be like like excuse me what and i would also have people who knew i wasn't actually pregnant say i looked pregnant which was you know just as hurtful but um then i was dating someone who basically very sloppily said something to the effect of, you know, I'm, like, really attracted to you, but I'd be, like, more attracted to you if you lost weight. I was just, like, so sick of hearing this shit. And I care... I think I carried my weight really well. Like, I never stopped seeing myself as beautiful and sexy. But then, like, all of a sudden, it kind of, like, all came crashing down with that final blow of the person I was dating. And that was an open relationship, too. I was dating somebody who thought that they had the audacity to say that. And the relationship ended, obviously. Uh, Or maybe not, obviously. But uh, so then I started losing weight for vanity purposes. And then once I started losing weight, it just kind of came off even more easily. And then it very quickly became about, you know what? Like, this has nothing to do with the way I look. This has everything to do with about the amount of energy I have, how I'm taking care of my body. I mean, like, I just started feeling better. I started having, I was able to stay out later and dance more at parties and who doesn't love that? I feel really comfortable at this weight. I'm happy to put on a little bit of weight even. and when I go to the gym, it's very much about putting on muscle instead of trying to be a slim, wafy girl. Because, I mean, like, I definitely, um, I, I think that I just, like, look healthier in general. I'm just definitely taking care of my body a lot more. And that also just affects my mental health positively yeah. so much, too. So, um having gone to the upper regions of my you know, bodies, like, like feeling overweight at one point and then kind of coming back from it. 
it's it's strange because I, I looked back on naked selfies I took of myself at my heavier weight and genuinely just been like, oh my god, my boobs, those my boobs were so big. Whoa. You know, like I kind of like had this same sense of yearning for that body type as I did when I was heavier looking for my thinner body type. So the grass is always greener. And that's not to say that, you know, you know, eat a bunch of junk food because, you know, weight doesn't matter. But body diversity. Exactly. Exactly. And our bodies change naturally just because of the courses of events of our life. I mean, uh, there's so many reasons our body shape and uh, weight can change and it's it's hard for me because I feel like I'm in such a delicate position where I have a stable weight but I'm still like oh my god like what if I just start inexplicably putting on weight again and like I'm just like shut up stop thinking that yeah it's like I have to reassure myself like yeah like obviously my level of worth has nothing to do with my size and um I would even not that this is necessarily the right way to approach this either but I would I like had sexual partners of mine who I was intimate with during my heavier weight and after my weight loss or before I'd gained weight and everyone who I was intimate with was like you know I genuinely never cared like I noticed you gained weight genuinely was never a thing that upset me or in fact I kind of liked it your butt was so big and I loved it mm. you know it's yeah. just like there is I think that's great you can love anyone's body really yeah I and that's and not just about like weight I think that like beauty is so subjective and I know for a fact that there are people who do not find me to be an attractive person and that is okay and that that in fact makes me happy because I'm like you know there is beauty is just so so subjective like I'm so cheesy but it's so true so true no I think it's important it's not it's important for people to hear over and over again because the media largely shows us one type of body Mm -hmm. shape and tells us that that's the ideal and that's and if you're not that, then you're not good enough, and people won't like you, and romantic partners won't like you, and anyway, so that's why I always like yeah. to talk about this. Um, all right, I could talk to you way longer, but let's do these quick fire questions that I ask Yay. everyone. Yeah, sweet. Okay. So just kind of say the first things that come to your okay. mind. You can take as long or short as you want with them. Great. Um, all right, so what are some of your morning routines, and the first few things you do when you wake up in the morning, and how that affects how the rest of your day goes? I pee because my bladder is very small. Maybe. Peeing, very important. First thing. Check my email, and if I'm in bed with my partner, then I, I snuggle for a little while. If I'm by myself, I snuggle with myself. Uh, <laughs> I rarely leap out of bed, uh, but sometimes I do. Are you a morning uh, person or a night person? I am definitely a morning person by nature, but I hate getting up early. But, like, once I'm up, I'm, like, the jazziest person. Yeah. And I'm, like, an obnoxious camp counselor. Like, yeah, let's get, let's go. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Although I like, I think staying out late is cool, but it's, like, not my natural yeah. tendency. <laughs> so about the evening routines, what are some things you do in the evening to wind down, to de-stress? Smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Smoke weed every day. For sure. That's just me. Before, what are some things you do, like the last three things before bed? Probably pee. Peeing. Peeing. Um, Put on chapstick. Ooh. Drink more water. Um, (laughs) 
I like to only get in bed when I'm like super exhausted because there's nothing worse than laying in bed just like yeah. being so restless. So I try to like wear myself out somehow, whether that be with exercise or like just reading until I get really sleepy. I'm trying to not watch as much TV before bed because it's not good for you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, chapstick, peeing, weed. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> that <feels. laughs> I think I heard, I was listening to another podcast and in Colorado, there's, like, a lot of, like, weed-cultured, like, things. That, like, mm-hmm. the wedding stuff and, like, all sorts of things. And there's, like, a weed chopstick. Oh, so you could, like, so kill nice. two birds with one stone, potentially. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. Um, what is, this is a big question, but what is the legacy you'd like to leave behind in your work and in your life? This also is going to sound so cheesy, but I really think that... I should just name my podcast The Cheese Cast. Yeah. It's, it's always cheesy. And I, I, love it. <laughs> I think that... Not dairy-free. Yeah. That'll be the subtitle. Yeah. Uh, I think that, honestly, just having one person tell me that I helped them a lot with something mm. in the sexual department... Which has already happened, so I already feel like I'm like I honestly like I feel like I could just do this infinitely, but I'm really trying to work one on one with people, and I definitely feel so overcome with emotion when someone's like, "Oh, that book you recommended to me just helped me so much." Just the tiniest little things like that. Someone will just send me an email sometimes saying how a thing I wrote or a thing I said really helped them and that honestly is all I want. Mm. Um, I mean, am I, am I making money off of doing this? Like, yeah, like a little bit, but like you do not go into the sex industry to make money. At least the kind of sex industry that I'm in. It's really not like, (laughs) you know, I didn't invest in real estate or something. I don't want to do that. So it's, it's very like, it's definitely an emotional reward more than anything else. Um, so legacy, that would be cool. Uh, (laughs) but I feel quite satisfied as is just knowing that these things are helpful on a practical level for people. And if like someone has gonorrhea and what finds my gonorrhea article feels better, that is just like, that is the bee's knees right there. Yeah. People feeling less alone. Like we were talking about before. Yeah. What's your favorite part of your life right now? Pretty happy with my relationship. (laughs) Um, I'm also feeling the most in control of my anxiety. And that's hard to say because I still feel so stressed out all the time. But I feel like I'm really able to take a step back from it all and just be like, Remember how you were freaking out last week and everything was fine the next day? Well, it's just like that. You're freaking out. It's going to be fine. Like, I'm really able to kind of, like, suck myself out of my body. See the big picture. Yeah, I think I'm getting better at that. And I I think, like, that my happiest moments are moments where there isn't some worry or some rumination running through my head. And the more moments I have at peace like that are just going to make me such a better person in the long run. Somebody told me recently that, like, if you asked yourself, what were you worried about a year ago today, you'd be like, I don't know. And so it's kind of crazy that we stress ourselves out and have these worries and none of them, most of them, unless it's, like, a really big thing, will even matter to us Mm -hmm. at all in a year. So, okay. Favorite color? 
Mint, green, and peach. Favorite day of the week? Hmm, Sunday and Monday. That's funny. Monday and Sunday are so, like, different from each other. Yeah, well, they're the biggest sales days for me. (laughs) But also, I like Mondays because I don't have a traditional work schedule and the world kind of quiets itself down on a Monday. Mm. And while it is, like, a little stressful for me to return to work also on a Monday, I like how everyone's still a little bit, like, getting back into gear. Yeah, well said. I like Mondays, too. And Sundays are nice because... That's the day that everyone is generally the most free in the daytime. Yeah. I'm all about the daytime hangs. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Let's have a daytime hang soon. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you're trapped on a deserted island, and you can bring with you one TV show, one book, one person, and one beauty item. Go. Okay, TV show. <sighs> so difficult. First one that comes to mind. I, I'm like, my first instinct was Oz, even though that's like the world's most depressing show. I've never even heard of it. It's that. a show about a maximum security men's prison. I have no. I, so my my brain is so dark. Um, I like watching really fucked up things because they make me feel like my life situation is like so much better. So by comparison, I always feel like very Mm. um, uplifted by very upsetting things. Um, But I was also going to say Seinfeld because does Seinfeld really ever get old? No, no, it doesn't. I was watching when Uh, I was sick. (laughs) Like last night I was watching. (laughs) Beauty item, I would say... You have amazing eyebrows. Oh, Your thank eye makeup you. looks fantastic. Anastasia, Anastasia, I eye pencil. Too. Yep, yep, yep. I um, I'm gonna say silicone lube because it technically is a beauty product. It's a hair defrizzer and also oh. um, really great for cutting against chafing, which is like really probably gonna be happening on a desert island. So silicone lube, yeah. Uber lube, I'm really into. Um, it's also makeup primer. So many, so oh many uses. But it's also yeah, sex. Um, let's see, a person, um, oh, I can't just pick one. Okay. I'm going to say my best friend, Abby, even though love you, mom, love you, dad, love my partner, love all my other friends so dearly much. I haven't even seen her in so long, but I've also known her since I was five, so... Uh, she, I would I'd bring her with me and we'd make fart jokes all day. Uh, <laughs> but also I want to take everybody else with me. Swear. Yeah. What was the last thing? Food. Oh, food. They wouldn't get sick of. <sighs> okay. Okay. This is not a practical food cause this would not be full nutrition. Cause like if I was going for like complete nutrition, I'd so say durian, but <laughs> yeah, I'm much more um, filet mignon. Okay, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's been the best part of your day so far today? Today, I dropped my car off at an auto shop that was walking distance from my house, like about no, like a did. mile and a half, and I had like a nice walk. And I don't do too much walking, and it was just like a real. I do a lot of walking. We should yeah. do walks together. We we live in a walkable area. Yeah, thankfully. we do. Mm. Um, best meal you've eaten in the last week? Oh, oh my god, I hope that my cat's purring was audible. <laughs> um, the best meal I have eaten. Oh. 
Mm. One that comes to mind that was really good. I've been honestly really obsessed with the prepared Indian food from Trader Joe's. Yeah, Indian food is amazing. <laughs> oh, God. I'm I, was, I googled like tips for a stuffy nose, like how to heal a stuffy nose naturally or something, and the like first thing was Indian food, and then all day I've been craving it because I think ah. just like spiciness. Yeah, it's awful too because there's like list. all this good Yemeni and Bangladeshi food in the area, and like I'm just like Trader Joe's Indian <laughs> food, like it's fucking. <laughs> so you're a writer and you have you been writing for did you always have a talent for writing and I want to know like what productivity tips you have and what like what your writing process is do you just like sit down when you have when you're inspired or like how does that talk to us about any um, writing tips I mostly only really write these days when I have a specific writing assignment for one of the publications I write for so it's very easy for me to be motivated when I have a very specific thing to write about, and oftentimes it's a piece that's directly based off a pitch I have, and I collect my pitch ideas just by having a thought, and I, like, whenever the thought floats into my mind, I put it into, like, a little iPhone note, because if I just try to sit down and brainstorm ideas, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So I really just kind of let them naturally pop into my brain and collect them, and then when I have enough pitches, I submit them. So it's really easy to write based on that, but I also just kind of try to write about whatever I find myself talking about with friends on a regular basis. Um, like, I really want to write about my self-discovery with my difficulty saying no to people, like I was mentioning earlier, because um, I've been talking with so many friends about that. I'm like, yep, got to write about that. Um, and it's a relatable thing. Yeah. So it's like, if you would, if it would be a boring thing to say to your friend, it would probably also be a boring thing to write an article oh, or that's such a good piece about, you yeah. know, if, 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 but I mean, that's not to say there aren't things that need to be written that aren't like as engaging or fun and lighthearted, but yeah, yeah, totally. What's the best advice you've ever gotten and the worst advice you've ever gotten? <laughs> the best advice I've ever gotten is <laughs> oh. hmm. this is definitely not like the best is just what I'm like thinking of yeah. comes to mind because my dad always used to say this you can please some of the people all the people or all the people <laughs> you can please some of the people all the time or all of the people some of the time but you can't please all the people all the time that's a good one and the worst piece of advice I've gotten is put garlic in your pussy to cure a yeast infection. Oh, yeah. oh cat butt. Oh. Uh, yeah, that, you know, I it works for some people. It doesn't work for me, and I just yeah. wound up having a very garlicky pussy. I think that's a great example. That was also on my home remedy list for clearing a stuffy nose. Garlic is like this cure-all, apparently. <laughs> but I hate garlic, so I would. <laughs> it's not going anywhere near my nose or my vagina. But I think it's a good example of, like, holistic stuff works. This whole conversation, too, with, like, holistic stuff works some of the time, and sometimes you need to take antidepressants, and sometimes you need to, you know, have surgery, or sometimes you yeah. need to use the monostat, or whatever. Totally. And, like... You know, I've had so many people try to like beat play doctor with me, and I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, how dare you tell me to smoke more weed and my depression and anxiety will go away? Or like, 
I posted a selfie with Monistat one time and everyone was just like, ew, that stuff is yeah. toxic. And I'm like, well, it's the only thing that freaking works, so shut it. And you know your body more exactly. than anybody everyone's or different. the internet ever. Great ever piece of would. advice. Everyone's different. It just kind of pertains to yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, just that's the only thing. If you take away one thing from this podcast ever, everybody's body's different. Everybody's tastes are different. Yeah, all of it. So, okay, so you're having a dinner party, and you can invite five people. Who do you invite? What do you hope someone turns and asks you at the table to talk about? And what do you hope no one asks you that you don't want to talk about? And what would you make slash eat slash pick up? I would invite... I'm not going to go with actual people. I know I'm going to go with people I don't really know. Okay. I'm going to invite... (laughs) Dan Savage another great podcaster Mm -hmm. I'm going to invite Kim Kardashian sorry I'm going to invite Johnny Depp because he's a fucking asshole I'm going to invite and I wanted to like have his babies when I was little I'm going to invite yeah this collection of people is really showing off my uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to invite Octavia Butler the sci-fi writer. I'm really into her right now. And I'm going to invite... <sighs> Definitely Jesus. Nice. <laughs> up. He was Perfect. so not a messiah, but he was so a person. And, like, his life matters. Um, <laughs> I would really hope that someone would ask me... Um, would ask me to hang out with them again. <laughs> I would, That's such an obvious thing that why has no one said that on this podcast before? Um, except for Johnny Depp. He can go fuck himself. I hate that guy. I would literally just invite him to, like, tell him how why much Why is he such an asshole? He abuses his partners. He's an oh, alcoholic, really? and he needs help. And, yeah, oh, he's got, he's, man. like, he, he needs to seek a mental health Yikes. professional. But, like, I'm just, like, I was such your biggest fan, John Depp. Where'd you go? Why'd you fall off the boat, man? Uh, uh, why are you such a dick? <laughs> I believe in you. Oh, like, you don't even understand. Like, I read a biography of Johnny Depp's life when I was, like, 13. Like, that is how much I cared about Oh, this. my God. God, I've, like, seen every one of his movies, even his shitty ones. <laughs> Which is most of them. Sorry. Um, I would hope that nobody would ask me, like, um, like, about, like, maybe... Like, when the last time I took a shit was, like, because I just wouldn't, I'd be like, we're at dinner, why are you asking this? Yeah. Uh, and I would prepare, like, the only food I actually know how to prepare, which is this, like, kale salad with this really yummy dressing I know how to make. Yeah. Can I come over for that? <laughs> yes. Uh, curried lentils, because yeah. that's another thing I know how to make. And then I'd make salmon. Those things don't really, like, go together, but those yeah, are the things I, I know like how to do. make. Oh. I feel like that'd be like a great like round that would like yeah. be a beautiful like Pinterest perfect plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would that yeah, and then for dessert we'd have creme brulee and ice cream. Yum. And the, the centerpiece is on I the would, table like, with dildo bouquets. Amazing. Yeah. I would totally crash that party. Okay, so what do you think happens when we die? Nothing. 
Dead over? Yes, we're dead and over. I believe in, like, like there being a non-physical presence that inhibits our body that is, like, non-denominational. Like, obviously, there is a spark of life in our bodies that exists. Um, it's just, like, it's not a spiritual thing to me. It's just, like, a thing that we can't... It's just too meta for our own brains to comprehend. And I think that we just kind of, like... Van- I do think we vanish. But at the same time, I think that, like, death rituals are very much for the living. And, like, I definitely feel like my dad's soul, or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, exists within me somewhere, like, in my own mind. Yeah. So I think that people only live on really through memory. Somebody told me, or not someone told me, well, I guess they did. On a <laughs> podcast I heard that um, when you die, like right before you die, something like DMT, or maybe it is actually like DMT yeah. releases, so you think, so that's like people when they're having like near-death experiences or like they see things, it's actually this like biological thing that happens to everyone right before you die, DMT releases, so it's like this other dimension yeah. or something so I don't know if it's true or not and I guess no one will ever I have for sure, totally but. hallucinated some stuff that I could have sworn was real yeah. and that is definitely what I think is going on when people swear they've met God have you heard that too about the DMT yeah well like DMT is a naturally occurring molecule in our body's chemistry but it's also a drug that you can synthesize right. and take um, but yeah I think like dreams are very yeah Similar to that experience, too. So, okay, so last little part um, before my last question. So, do you want to recommend a movie, a book, a, like, song, or podcast, or all of the above? Just anything that you want to recommend to people that, lately, that you've just liked and want people to know about? Um, Movie-wise, I would like to recommend Tickled, which is a documentary that came out recently, uh, about the competitive tickling industry, which oh is gosh. not what it all seems. It is kind of begins as a light, lighthearted documentary, um, but then as the documentarian kind of like delves deeper into the subject matter, he realizes that it's actually this like elaborate um, way that basically one person with a lot of money has been taking advantage of people for decades by making offering them large sums of money to tickle each other on camera but then will use the footage to blackmail these people into basically becoming like it's kind of like this like financial domination oh. thing disguised as tickling and it exploits people it's i can't even talk about it more without kind of spoiling it it's called tickled it is probably in some theaters i saw it at the main art theater nearby um fantastic um book wise i think parable of the sower by or sour by um octavia butler is a really relevant read right now it is a sci-fi like dystopian future book Um, And I think, uh, you know, going into an election cycle that could be fucking terrifying if the Cheeto ends up as our president, Mm -hmm. president. Um, I think it's kind of like a glimpse into a future world where we have 
a really corrupt government and yeah just read it it's so relevant right now <laughs> cool um anything else any music or podcast or anything else mm, i love 99 percent invisible as a podcast cool. it's just kind of about the day-to-day stuff or things that are very in front of our face that we don't understand the intricate inner workings of and mm-hmm. it covers a wide variety of subjects Song. I don't have a favorite song, but I really love Caribbean music and soca music, and cool. just kind of search like Caribbean, Trinidad soca twenty sixteen. Listen to the like top forties cool. in that genre. I love them that. all. Yeah, that sounds fun. We should have a dance party. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. I keep saying one last before the last one, but I just want you to plug and promote anything, and I meant to ask you, I love the name of your store, Spectrum. Can you t- tell everyone, because I heard you talk about it, how you yeah. thought that, and when did the idea come to you, and I love I love it. Right. Well, uh, I'll be honest, they, the name was definitely borrowed from a gay club that closed down, unfortunately, in Brooklyn that was called The Spectrum. And uh, I just had some really great times there. I loved, uh, it was just like a very safe space in many ways. And I just also really loved the name. I thought it was really appropriate for a sex toy store. It's also just like not as obvious as some other, it doesn't like blatantly say sex. But at the same time, it's so relevant because gender is on a spectrum and kink is on a spectrum and sexuality itself is on a spectrum. You can be on the, you can be asexual or sexual or any shade in between. Um, So just literally, and and it just goes for everything too. There's, I I really just want everyone to move away from the idea of like dichotomies in general, obviously gender binaries, we really need to move away from for everyone's sake. Um, And yeah, to just like not see things as black and white, know that there are so many ways of in between to be and behave and feel and identify and express yourself. Um, Cool. Yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. So I'll have all the links in the show notes to where everyone can find Yay! you. But um, so we'll have all of that and your Thongria on Instagram. Yes. Um, so how do you feel? Do you feel like you need to let out anything else? Um, the name of this podcast is Let It Out. Did I? Do you wish that I would have asked something? Oh, do you feel? You yes. were so thorough. You were the thoroughest. Are I, you as like tired as I am? I feel yeah, like it I takes too. it out of you to like have a that was a really eight hour conversation. Yeah, I mean we like went to many different realms. Very tangential conversation. Like that we kind of talked about less of the obvious subject matters. I mean, like I will. Yeah, go for it. I will recommend sex toys. Like, I, I mean, like, if you want, like, what's the best sex toy? Like, I just get asked that so much, and I love answering that question, but I think that uh, it's there's so many obvious questions you can ask a person like myself, and I yeah, think... I feel like that information is easier to find. Totally, on the internet, for sure. Um, I think that, like, by asking more specific, less... Um, blatantly obvious questions pertaining to sexuality. It actually goes to a deeper level of talking about very relevant and universal information regarding sexuality. Like, we went 
from mental health to and orgasms and death and online trolls and All the desert island things. All the things. <laughs> we did it. So did you have fun? Do I you, did. I'm so happy that we finally did this. We've been meaning to do this for so Forever. long. I know, and we made it barely. My yeah. computer's about to die. I'm about to. I'm about to fall asleep. Aww. This is amazing, though. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you. Oh, jinx! Yeah. And I hope that everybody um, checks you out and follows you, and, yeah. and we'll hang Hi, out everybody. a lot more, and hopefully <laughs> collaborate more, and just. I'm so I'm so excited to know you, and I'm so grateful. You're such an awesome, cool person. So I'm so glad we connected. Yeah, I think the last thing I might say is uh, email me, and yeah. just like send me questions you're i really, love answering you get back that. to everyone i do sometimes yeah. it takes like a day but i always always answer questions that are serious and not of an inappropriate i mean that inappropriate is relative but if you're asking me if you can fuck me you can you're not fuck gonna, off. yeah this is a very <laughs> yeah yeah thing. if you have any questions about no one, sex though no one here is i will not judge you just don't send me a dick pic or do and be prepared for me I to can guarantee give you a very you, honest no one who listens to my podcast <laughs> is going <laughs> to do that <laughs> oh, this is the best yay we did it amazing thank you all right there you have it that was the episode i hope you learned a lot i definitely learned a lot in that episode man did i learn a lot zoe is really cool i highly suggest you follow her check out her art check out her store and keep in touch the emoji for this episode oh my gosh i didn't even think about this before oh i gotta go look at my phone one moment okay i'm back the emoji is the eggplant i'm just doing it there you go it's the eggplant so tweeted us the eggplant emoji if you are still listening right now thank you so much for listening I adore you guys. You guys are so awesome. I also adore FreshBooks.com because thank you, FreshBooks, for sponsoring. You guys are awesome. If you listening want to have really great, strong financial practices, keep your business on track if you're an entrepreneur, or maybe just for yourself, keep things organized, go to FreshBooks.com and just get the free 30-day trial. It's unrestricted. That's great. It's also helpful to the podcast because you're supporting the podcast by by doing it so you go to freshbooks.com slash let it out and entering let it out in the how did you hear about us section also if you want to support the podcast you can also leave a review you can also share this podcast with a friend you can also you know those are the main things you can do oh uh you could leave my book a review i was thinking there was another thing anyway check out my book my book is called let it out a journey through journaling makes a great you know belated christmas gift or a gift for yourself if you haven't read it but i wrote this book it came out in spring of 2016 so it's relatively new has not even been out for a year it's about journaling which is a great exercise to do i love journaling and there's some really cool things that i'm making this year because of ideas i've had from journaling so check it out i love you guys thank you zoe thank you freshbooks thank you mostly to you for listening I will see you next week. And by see you, I mean you will hear me in your headphones or however you listen to podcasts because that is the way that we will connect next week. Or feel free to connect with me on social media. Let's be friends on all of the social media. In the meantime, I'm at Katie Dalebow on Instagram, Snapchat, 
Twitter. Those are all the main things. Facebook. Love you guys. Bye. Do you have space? Yeah, but it's like in a residential loft. It's like, it's hard because like I, I'm excited about it. It's like, it's not a step up or a step down. It's just like a step sideways into a new space because like, I can't just have a storefront, but like the whole Detroit. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't really want a storefront from a responsibility standpoint. And I think that the way for me to actually have a store is to just carry so much BDSM supplies that it like offsets the the sex toy Mm -hmm. amount that's there. And if I keep it under 30% sex toys, I can be open. Oh. That's good. Yeah, but I'm just like, that's going to cost so much money. Yeah. So it's like I have to decide whether I want to do that or not, kind of. Like, do you just kind of, I mean, do you think that the, um, like, the online store is doing so great? Do you want to just, do you feel like you really need to have a storefront? Is that, like, your I don't need goal? it. Wanna... But it, I, think, I think it's nice just because I think that, like, I would not want to buy a sex toy off the internet. That's just me personally, yeah. though. Well, it's nice when you can do, like, you, when when I met you originally mm-hmm. at that Valentine's Day thing. Yeah, I've been like, doing those things. Yeah, I was like, where did we meet? I was like, that yeah. was, like, honestly, I think that was my most successful day of tabling. Like, of any one individual day of tabling. I just, like... That was like, such a great day. It was so, it was so I successful. I love Lisa. Lisa's, like, yeah. so cool. She's doing the flower nice. truck. She's so cool. And, like, she's such a great curator of bringing together such, like cool artists and cool people in the city and she knows everyone and yeah one of my friends is like her assistant and uh like loves it so I'm like, yeah yes thank you for employing my friends yeah i know she's super cool did you make that i did not but um i'm obsessed with this artist he's super this cool. japanese guy and he always you can always tell it's his stuff like the one in my there's one in my bedroom by him and I have like a few art books of his but there's this um, French art collective that represents a bunch of international artists and he's one of them and I found it I found like a book of his stuff at this comic book store in Brooklyn one time oh cool because I used to like flirt with the guy who owned it and would just like come in and be like show me like your most fucked up art and he'd be like you'd like this <gasps> You want light? You want no light? Nah, you choose. Okay. I'm good with whatever. Alright, so it's gonna be really chill just like this. Yay! Basically, this is just like, you know, Should conversation. I? You're good. You're perfect. Okay. I was oh. like testing it as we were chatting. I like that nail polish color a whole lot. Thanks. It was called. Did you do them yourself? No, I got I got. Oh, gels, yeah, you just said that. But uh, the color, I was looking at the color on the bottom, it was like, got yourself okay. into a jam belial. It was like, got, get yourself into a jam dash belial. I was just so like, silly. I was just like, fuck now. <laughs> That's the most stupid thing. It's like the goofiest pun. Um. <laughs>